0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. We are beginning a series um, as we walk toward Easter, and I'm calling it Before You Quit. Um, as we walk toward Easter. And we're going to look at some various stories throughout the Bible um, as people in the Bible have experienced hurt and heartbreak and discouragement and how those stories intersect with our stories and how those are intertwined. And I've titled this series, Before You Give Up, because if you're there or if you're just about there, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here because uh, you're in the presence of God and uh, God wants to do something in and through us and in through you and through these stories, through your story right now. So I pray as we walk toward the resurrection, we would look at these stories through the eyes of Easter and through restoration in our eyes because God is going and wants to do something in and through each of our hearts. And Jesus invites us and invited those people in the Bible Um, to those in the Bible to bring their failure and hurt and doubt and discouragement and fatigue. And Jesus invites that to, to us and sin. And Jesus invites us to bring it to him and to our community. So I pray as we walk toward Easter together, we would experience, as we've sung today, the goodness of God that it's running after us and that is provided through all of these stories, as we will see everybody in the Bible experienced pain, experienced the exact same things that you and I go through, heartbreak, discouragement, depression, anxiety, all the things that we, you and I experience, everybody in the Bible also experienced together as well that's provided through these stories. I just want to set sort of a direction. This is kind of the aim for this series and for today is this, to encourage and to reach individuals who are on the verge of breaking and to encourage those who are feeling the weight of the world to find hope in Jesus. That is the aim. That's sort of the direction. I just kind of want to put it out there. That's the aim and direction of this series and this sermon today is to those people who are breaking, who are at a breaking point, maybe at the last thread, maybe on the verge of that last thread hanging on for dear life. I'm praying, God, would break through your circumstances. I pray that God would break through it, the current circumstances that you're in right now, and break in and through those and shine his light on those. You see, the resurrection makes everything possible for God. The resurrection is proof that God is for you, loves you, and that the power of God is available for every single person who calls upon his name. Maybe you're here this morning and you're sort of in the audience and you've got this question in your mind. Does God care? I mean, does God really care? Does God really care? I mean, God's got like a big universe to run. God's got a lot of things to control. God's got a lot of stars and a lot of planets to figure out. Like God's got to try to figure out the Saturn and the the rings around Saturn. I think Saturn has rings. Yeah, rings around Saturn. He's got to try to figure out the meteors and all these things. He's got a big universe to run and he's got all these things to do. And he's got like the elk in Alaska to figure out. Like he's got, a you know, all these things. God's got a big deal. Does he really care about me? Does God really care? The world has enough problems and issues, and we might be asking ourselves, is God really bending an ear toward my life when I pray? Is he really doing that? Is God's eye really on me and my family and the hurt I've experienced and the hurt that I'm going through? Is the Jesus told in the Bible, is this really true? Is the message that millions of people are gathered around today, right, and sitting in Various auditoriums of various sizes and various seats right now. Everyone's filled around the world right now with the message of Jesus. Is, this, is, is that really true? What weight, what significance does this story right now have in my life? What do I know about this to be true? How can I know this to be true? What does a 2,000-year-old two wooden beams have to do with anything with my kids who never seem to listen? My relationship with my friend who's backstabbed me. My family, whose dysfunction, runs very deep. My soul, that never seems to be watered. My life, that seems so out of control, and so out of sorts. How can I know this is actually worthwhile? One of the more powerful accounts of this comes from a story of his ministry. Jesus was teaching people, as comes from John 11, and this was as Jesus was entering Jerusalem... And uh, as Jesus was on his way there, and, uh, and so let me set up the big picture of this. John chapter 11 is where this story comes from. And I uh, forgot the page number unless my lovely bride would open the Bible right in front of her and tell me the page. That would be great. Thank you very much for that. Big picture, we'll talk about it and then I'll, I'll hear from her. 760? 760, thank you. So if you want to grab the Bible in front of you, you can do that. Um, and uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, make sure you. Uh, Let me know if you need one. Uh, Would be honored to give you a Bible. Uh, So John chapter 11. Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. He has been with odds with the religious leaders of the day. They didn't like him very much because of all the claims that Jesus was making. And he's challenging their line of thinking throughout this whole time. And they don't like it. And he comes to John 11 and he's visiting a very dear friend and his name is Lazarus. Lazarus in the name of the Bible and the names of the Bible sometimes have very significant meanings to them. And uh, it's God's way of teaching us something through it. Lazarus means God helps. God helps. And so all with this busyness of this season, the Lenten season, maybe for you, you're like, your eyes are on spring break. Maybe for you, your eyes are on um, what you're having for lunch today, or maybe your eyes are a different place at this point. It can vary. You can easily miss what's going on even in Jesus' ministry. And so, but Jesus has his eyes on the broken in John 11. He has his eyes on broken people. Um, I just want to read verses one through three, one through three, 760, and it's going to be on the screen here. A man, now a man named Lazarus was sick. So that's how the chapter starts. A man named Lazarus was sick. Don't know anything about him at this point, but he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. First time we hear um, Lazarus in the Bible, he's mentioned again in Luke 16 in a parable. Um, but this is the first this we hear about Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. Don't know about his parents? just about his sisters. We don't know what his education background was. We just know the sisters, Mary and Martha. Evidently, the sisters see Jesus. They see Jesus and they see Lazarus as becoming so sick and so ill that they have to get a hold of Jesus for Jesus to go and head that way. Jesus apparently has a very special place for Lazarus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Apparently a very special relationship with Lazarus and Jesus sees hurting people. Jesus sees hurting people in their time of need, and He meets them in their time of need. In fact, it's the Bible's way of saying. And John, the gospel, the writer of this gospel, saying, like Jesus is saying, like like bring the needy people to Me. Bring the needy persons in your family, and your circles, and your loved ones, in the church. Bring the needy people of the world to Jesus. So, um, if you're, so let's jump in. If you're, place, if you're in a place of hurt, this is a good message. If you're in a place of hurt, very simply this, Jesus sees you, His eyes are on you, and He notices. His eyes on the broken. So let's go there. Um, John 11. Um, again, we at this church value the teaching and preaching of the Scriptures. And it's my prayer um, that you would find a church that preaches and teaches the Scriptures faithfully. And on page 760 on the screen behind me, I'm going to start in verse 4 says this, when he heard this, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So I have a question about this. So he stayed where he was two more days. Have you ever puzzled, kind of puzzling question there? Why would Jesus stay when someone's sick two more days? Have you ever asked God that question? God, if you had been here, blank. We ask things about God's timing, don't we? Lord, why delay? Why didn't you intervene here? Why didn't you step in when the relationship fell apart? you ever felt that way? Like, where were you, Lord? You came too late. Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when I was cheated on out of my promotion? Where were you when my child went astray? God, if only you would have been here. If only you would have been here. And Martha stares into Jesus' face with confused eyes. The one who could have made a huge difference did not. And we'll find that in verse 21. I'm going to skip to verse 17 for a minute. I skipped those. I just realized I needed to read those before that. We're going to read verse 17. Go to verse 21. Then we'll come. We're going to read 17 17 to 27. If you'll go there with me. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. In uh, in the land of the Bible and in uh, the times of the Bible, uh, you were really, you were dead for, you you were, there was like kind of a burial ritual that after three days you were really dead. Okay, so for four days is the Bible's way of telling us that like Lazarus is like, really, really dead. So after three days, they would kind of put spices and do all the son of burial and ceremonious rituals. And so Jesus found Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. That means like, you're really dead. Like you're not coming back. Um, and so he's dead, really dead for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, this is that point, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her this. These are poignant words. I am the what? Resurrection and the what? Life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And in verse 27, it says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. You see, Jesus wants us to know, and he's come to, do this, come to know this, but Jesus wants to know that he has come to give us life over the greatest enemy that we could ever face, and that is death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Place your faith and trust in me. And even though those prayers maybe feel or seem unanswered or go, and they, maybe they feel like they're idle, we know that it is Jesus who listens to Mary and Martha and hears them in their grief and in their pain, and Jesus never turns away from their grief but in fact responds to it, and then eventually Lazarus is raised to life in his perfect timing. There's this peculiar statement that Jesus makes. It says, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? We know that eventually Lazarus does get raised from the dead, but Jesus awaits for him to be raised. You see, God's will is perfect so that God can grow us into fully knowing Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient savior for our life. The love of God has a deeper and greater kind of love that can only be experienced when we experience pain. As difficult as that sounds, that the love of God, there's a love that God wants us to know through Christ that can only be experienced through pain and grief and hardship. You see the goal for Jesus's love for us is not for us to have a life free from the pain and suffering and the problems of this world, but for us to deepen our love for Jesus and then for God to be glorified through it. You see, how we might be asking, well, how can I glorify God when it feels like there's so many problems? When things aren't going well, when things are going downhill, how can I glorify God in my life? What if my life is nothing like the way I anticipated? I had everything mapped out in life. I had all the T's crossed and I's dotted and I got that thing and, um, you know, went to school and what this and I, my life is not going the way I anticipated. Got more questions than answers. People have let me down. That's where the Easter story comes in. (laughs) That's what we'll find out in a few weeks but if you'll come for the cross to just for a minute. You see, after being sold for pieces of silver and um, beaten and unjustly arrested with no charge and evidence evidence against him and bloody to the point of death, Jesus walks his own cross, which was a hundred over a hundred pounds, about a mile down a winding road via Dolorosa. And with a roaring crowd around him and limbs that were past the point of numbness, Jesus gets to that cross and they shove him to the ground and stretch stretches his arms against those beams and presses a knee against the forearm and a spike against the hand. Jesus turns his face toward the nail and Jesus, fully God, fully man, could have stopped it. He's the same guy who made the ways of the sea stop and he's the same who would raise Lazarus from the dead. With a single word, a clench of the fist, a hand that stilled the seas, he could have stopped. Why not? Because he loved you and I too much every nail and every hammer of that nail that went into the beams. He loved you and I. Every push for that oxygen on the cross mean that God's, meant that God saw something else in each one of us. And behind his, between his hand and the wood, there was a list, a long list, a list of all of our mistakes, past, present, and future. Our lusts, our lies, greedy moments, prodigal years. Our years of regret, of haves and have-nots. He saw bad decisions from last year bad attitudes from last week, and there in broad daylight for all the world, there was a list. And he saw the list, and he knew the price of those sins would be death, separation from God. And he knew the source of all those sins was you, and he couldn't bear the sight of eternity without you. And he chose the nails. And he chose the nails for you and I. Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Romans 6.8-11, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives in God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to what? Sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Peter, praise be to the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great what? mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead in revelation we're told that one day he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away and that is a wonderful verse about a fantastic future and you're like yes god that that's my that's my life i want that and you're like man what, what about right now what about now We can also choose our perspective in life and we can dwell among the traffic jams trying to see what the world is going on, maybe even discussing it with others, maybe at the local barber shop where you get all the gossip of the local news and every iota of what's going on in our town and everything like that. Or we can choose to believe the scriptures in John 11, be elevated above the traffic to see what God is doing and to see that help is on the way that God is in control. I believe that with all my heart, and I believe that on the authority of the Bible, and I believe that on the Scriptures, that God is in control. He wants us to pour out our hearts to Him. He cares so much that He wants our sorrows. He's not a stoic God. He feels our pain. We know this from the Lazarus story. God feels your pain, feels your sorrows, and He wants us to understand that He is with us. He brings us joy and he brings us resurrection life into all of our afflictions, into all of our pain and believing him that we can find peace and we can find joy and also the delays. So where's our perspective? Is it down here sort of in the traffic at times? And yes, it can be at times. That's human nature. Or is it from above where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God? And when Jesus died on the cross, Forgiveness of sin, life eternal, bought with a price. You were chosen, redeemed, and cherished. Life and life eternal was purchased for you on Calvary. Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, very small band of group of disciples were so moved by that message with no college degree, no formal education, no real true resume on hand to give to a job interview. They witnessed the, they, all they did was witness the resurrection of Jesus and it begins and has launched into the movement of Christianity that is today. We're told Peter, the church history tells us that Peter was, was hung upside down and he went to great lengths to spread this message. And Nero barreled down on Christians. And yet we're told that Peter is like zealous for God and zealous for this message. And we're told this. We're told that women are the first eyewitnesses to this. And we're told at the very beginning of that empty tomb, there was mixed emotions, fear. There was all kinds of emotions. Entire church was locked in one room and they were like, man, did this really happen? And yet many of those apostles died for it. The story would have died out. I mean, if this would have made up, the story would have died out. And yet it continues today. No Bible would have been written, no church enacted, no faith to be sure of. And you see this resurrection, living hope is a present reality right now. We have assurance that we will know where we will spend the rest of our lives, but this is not simply a passageway to eternity. We know this life is often a blip on the radar in terms of eternity, but the resurrection gives us hope even now. We can see other people, church. We can see other people through the lens of the resurrection. We can see other people through the lens of the resurrection. The people that may irritate us, the people that really annoy us, people that we'd maybe rather not hang out with. But you see, the resurrection tells us that we can see other people through that lens of the resurrection. Our families, our marriages, our relationships, resurrection and the life gives us purpose to live life here and now. And he can certainly, and this is not simply just a, a good saying or a good, uh, good piece of advice, So this is is the truth. That if Jesus can be raised from the dead, he can certainly resurrect any circumstance in our life. Death does not have the final say. Jesus's declaration over our life is our foundation for this life. Deeply personal. This, This message is very deeply personal for Jesus and for this family as well. I'm going to pick up back in verse 27. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, you know, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was what? Deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. We see Jesus throughout this whole kind of story like very deeply involved in someone's pain and anguish and heartbreak. Deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid on across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, The sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I got a little bit of a chuckle out of that verse, that John would tell us that Martha said, by this time there's a bad odor. Well, no, yeah, I mean, four days, you know, dead body there, four days was a bad odor. So um, I got a good chuckle out of that. Um, Anyway, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. These are this interest, these really important words. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And Jesus, when Jesus said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I circled word Lazarus there because the good shepherd knows our names. He calls him by name. Just know that God, and the Lord calls us by name. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Okay, very simply, there's, this is very simple. No 15 minute lesson. Very simple, powerful, profound words. Jesus calls the man by name. Nothing like this, in this, this circumstance, happened in across Jesus' ministry, four days dead. Jesus, who had called disciples, made water into wine, won a Samaritan village, healed a faraway boy, opened the eyes of the man born blind, but conquered death. And maybe your name is not Lazarus or Mary, Martha, but you can certainly put your name in there at this moment. Jesus touching your life and offering you hope in the present time, yes, even today, There's a time for a new day in your life. A new day of faith. Jesus calling your name. And today the cross, this means not just this supernatural event. This is everyday goodness wins. This means that every day when Jesus died and resurrected, it means everyday goodness wins. It means peace wins. It means his kingdom is coming and has come. It means courage over fear and peace can overcome chaos. I've shared this quote before. This is a great quote. But this Dale Bruner, he says, God did not need a fetus for the incarnation, water for his son's baptism, a cross for his son's death, or a cadaver for his son's bodily resurrection. God can squeeze water from a stone, but God used all of these lowly realities to do the great work of world salvation because he entered into our grief and our pain. God chose the lowly things in the world to shame the wise. Jesus was simply visiting on a visit to his very dear friends. Very ordinary, mundane, and he can do it in church services such as ours. And he can do it in hospital rooms, grocery stores. Not only does the resurrection give us hope now, it gives us hope for eternity for all of us. It gives us also purpose. It, it live, we live with purpose through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have confidence in an everlasting life with the Father. Our lives can be full of purpose, a life driven by purpose has joy and freedom. We know what lies ahead. But this is our reality as believers in Jesus. We have purpose. Purpose drives us in such a way that others would see and that others would know the hope that we have in Jesus. And you see, with Lazarus dying and Jesus is dying, we're confronted with death. And death is inevitable for all of us. And sometimes we try to avoid that. And our society has created so much noise around death, there's no, not even time to think about it, we're entertained and watch, we watch gladiators fight and we're, we're entertained by that in movies and whatnot. And we watch it from a distance. And we aren't involved or necessarily responsible when we watch that. As one author says that to be detached from death is to be, to be detached from our life, which is powerful words. Life is discovered when death is faced and faced victoriously. He will stand before Lazarus' tomb and declare victory. And He will stand in your life and your heart. So if you are broken, battered, bleeding from the inside out, staring at a lifetime of bad decisions, ashamed, struggling with getting out of bed and facing today or for the next minute, thinking about checking out more than digging in, shaking your fist at God, angry, screaming at the heavens, staring at your hands knowing what they've done and wondering how could God ever love you? Unable to breathe from the weight of the wound in your chest, Mopping up the leftover scars in your heart because you trusted someone. Searching the horizon for any sort of prodigal son or daughter. Covered in soul-wretched grief and spirit-breaking sorrow. Unable to see the daylight for the blanket of darkness. Unable to get off the merry-go-round and stop the cycle of medicating your pain with pills or drink or sex or money or anything else in between. You see, when God seems to be doing nothing, he may be doing more than you could ever ask or imagine. When God feels like God is doing nothing, he may be doing more than you could ever ask or imagine. We know this from the Lazarus story. And Jesus died while we were enmity with God, brought us back, reconciled us to God. While we were in sin, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act, when the prodigal son in Luke 15 came home, he didn't wait and clean up and, you know, son, clean up, wash your clothes. He just embraced him. He didn't wash up before the father to earn his favor. He received the son as he was. He knows we need love and he offers it for us. He offers us forgiveness and he knows we need it. I've never met anyone who thinks that they have no need for forgiveness. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Jesus is A present reality. He is our good father. He is our healer. He is our great physician. He is our great high priest. He is the one who stands in our place. He is our peace. He is our redemption. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great I am. He is the Messiah. He is our good shepherd. And I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating this. God does for you what Bill Tucker's father did for him when he was 16 years old. Bill's father had suffered a heart attack and struggled to get by financially. So he came up with an idea. He won the bid to reupholster the chairs at a local theater. And it stunned the family. Hadn't stitched a day in his life. Didn't win a sewing machine. Still, he found the strength to somehow do it. So the family scraped together every ounce of every dollar that they had to buy and drained every bank account to dig for coins in the sofa. And Bill rode with his dad to pick up the equipment. Bill remembers a jovial hour-long trip that this new opportunity afforded him. 16-year-old Bill drove them there to load the industrial-sized sewing machine in the back of the truck. And as the truck drove along, Bill wasn't paying attention. The sewing machine began to tip, slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. All their hopes and dreams lying on the side in pieces, and his dad looked at him dead in the eyes. All the risk, all the endeavor, struggling in all of his dreams all that hope to take care of the family were lying in pieces and shattered and he looked at him he looked at his son he didn't say stupid kid didn't pay attention he went over and put his arm around him around his son he said it's going to be okay and God is whispering the same to you and I those are his arms that you feel Trust him. Believe him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, kind of for the rest of this story, we'll piece this and kind of land the plane on the ways in which God works and through this story, through the Lazarus story, kind of intersect it with our lives. Today's big idea is in this Jesus is perfect in his timing, perfecting his purposes in your life so that you can fulfill your purpose in life. And what Jesus calls, what Jesus calls delays on his timing, sometimes there are delays in timing to come to see Lazarus. It's actually God's perfect timing. Often God's delays are his perfect timing. He is perfect in his timing and his purposes are perfect in our lives. And there's another point about this story too, that it just that's revealed in this story. God's glory is often revealed through our suffering so that others can also know the hope of Christ through our stories of shared suffering, and that's hard. But if you check verse 42, I said this, if you check verse 42, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you have sent me. You see, God often uses our pain for the glory of God and for the sake of other people. The pain that you and I endure is often a way of having others experience the same pain and grief that also others are going through as well as us. Lastly, we must fill our life with God's love and hope and recognize this, that God's timing is not our own. The Lazarus story is a gift to us because it's, to, it's kind of to hone in on like one word as I was thinking about this and reading through this again to hone in on our expectations when we define our expectations we usually set the stage for disappointments in life life seldom turns out the way we hoped for or dreamed it would Mary, the mother of Jesus Elizabeth 40 years of barrenness Jeremiah is another one in the Bible. We learn about Joseph. I mean, all the way he that we went through life hardly worked out for him, or that he thought that would happen to his life. And God obviously worked out for his good and his timing. Walking faithfully, we're to avoid any sense of rigid expectations. When we walk faithfully with God, we're to avoid any sight of rigid expectations of what God should do for us, as well as setting timetables and deadlines for when God needs to do it. We are called to live each and every day faithfully in God's providence, with a sense of expectancy that our utterly good and faithful God and Father can and will surprise us, often at the most unexpected times. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in his benediction to the Ephesians in chapter 3, that he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. So could it be, church family, could it be, Washington Union, could it be that God can meet us with surprise even in our breaking point moments? Could it be that God meets us with surprise in our breaking point moments and he's closer to us now than we ever thought possible? Might the Lazarus story teach us to live expectant lives while we await and entrust in God's perfect timing. And this is not to suggest that we thwart or fully can comprehend God's timetable for our life. None of us can do that. We will surely be unexpected at various points. We will have unexpected things happen at various points of our life. But I do know this from my own life, and I know this from the life of Lazarus. Number one, God is in it. (laughs) God's involved. And number two, God's glory is in it and God's glory is in yours. Even if it doesn't feel like it or see it right now, God's in it, and God's glory is in it. May we be filled with expectation, and may we continue to be filled with God's love and hope and goodness in our own brokenness, in our own places of hurt, because God sees us. Amen? Amen. The worship Team, will you come on up as we sing this song together?